welcome back. Um, it's so nice to see you all. Um, just a quick introduction. This session's name is Love in Action. And um, we are hoping to inspire you, to motivate you, to um, equip you with some practical knowledge and stories of, of these people and what, what happened in their lives. So um, I'm glad everyone is back. That was a short break. We know it's rugby time, okay? So all the godly men in here, well done for sticking and staying. I will give you rugby updates as we go. Does the score? Don't. No, okay. No rugby updates. Um, so if everyone can just find their seat and settle down, I will pray for us, and then we will jump into it. Is that good? Awesome. Okay. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can share stories of our lives and what you've done, that you've touched us to love others, and we want to pray that we will walk out of this place knowing that we serve an extraordinary God that uses ordinary people to change communities, lives, people, schools, families, children, everyone. And we bless you that we can be a part of what you're doing that we can co-labor with you, Jesus. We bless you, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Awesome, so just a quick introduction. I will introduce every speaker as they go. Um, beforehand, we have some amazing people on stage with me. Yes, um, they are quite something, and I will introduce them to you. Just quickly, my name is Gilly. Um, my wife's name is Ilana. <laughs> Thanks, James. Um, and uh, we are pastors at Shofar Poch of Struem. So um, we've been there for three years, planted the church there, and we're just privileged and honored to be a part of this family. Um, I don't want to preach, so just one short thing. I want to say that it's, um, I think we must all celebrate the fact that, that we can come together as a family this year again. Like Heinrich said, it was a long 2017. Um, it's been a tough year for some of us, but... I think what God has done in our midst, it's truly remarkable. Uh, we celebrate that this weekend. We felt His presence. Uh, it was great to see how many people got ministered to now in this session regarding forgiveness. So, so we're just humbled to be a part of what God is doing and to be a part of this family. And what we want to do in this session is we want to tell stories of God using ordinary people. I think the, the panel discussions and the preachers has been full-time ministers. So we might exclude ourselves by saying, okay, but that's possible for them because that's what they do full time. Um, so I'm going to eliminate all excuses for you um, this evening. And with our stories, we want to inspire you, tell you that it's possible to do something extraordinary. Extraordinary. Uh, I'm used to preaching in Afrikaans, so um, this English, it's quite something for me. Um, so God can use ordinary people. Now everyone is relaxed on stage. You can make some mistakes. Um, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Um, so we want to inspire you. Our, the, our first speaker, this lady on the left, um, his name is Quibi. <laughs> Quibi. Kirby just shared with me before the session that she's tried everything from youth ministry. I've been involved with her in youth ministry together. Students, um, she's, 
she's tried young working, but she's found it now with children. And uh, Kobe became a single mother two weeks ago. Two and a half months ago. Um, <laughs> with two amazing children uh, that she's foster full time. So she's going to share a story with us. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I became a foster mom to a seven-year-old boy and a three-year-old little girl about two and a half months ago, and it's really a privilege. I form part of Kibwe Kids, which is our foster ministry, in foster and adoption ministry in our church, for those that haven't heard about it yet. Um, I, for the last four years, I was working with Pastor D and Liana in Shafar Rondebosch, and that's basically where the Lord started this journey. I, in 2013, I did internship there, and the Lord started speaking to me about what He's really called me for, and what He's, you know, what He's laid on my heart when I was a little girl already. And during that year, I was reminded a lot about the children that we used to take into our house. My parents used to bring foster children home on weekends and holidays. And um, I remember so clearly when I got baptized and when I came to the Lord, a lot of people prayed over me that I was a mother of nations, but it never really made sense to me. Um, and I remember very clearly that morning in 2013, I woke up and I said to the Lord, I have such a desire to walk in fullness with you, to walk in that mother of nations. What does it look like? And I said to the Lord, I so badly just want to be a mother, the mother that you've called me to be. And the Lord said to me, well, be that mother then. And then the journey just started of lots of research, and I went to adoption and foster trainings, and I did a lot of research. I read a lot of blogs. I spoke to a lot of people. I, I doubted a lot. I, it was a long journey. But the one thing that me and the Lord was really in sync the whole time was he kept showing me this little girl walking next to a lion. And whenever, I, whenever the little girl would walk ahead of the lion, it's like the lion would, 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 chain, would move his head a little bit to keep me next to him. And I was that little girl, and the Lord really showed me to just stay in his timing. And I never knew how long this journey was going to be up to here. I never knew how long it was going to take. I never knew um, how long each step that it took me on was going to last. I just did what he told me to do until he told me to do the next thing, basically. Um, so fast forward four years. It took um, up until... From that morning when the Lord spoke to me until um, Wani and Megan arrived, it was almost exactly four years that the Lord spoke to me until they arrived. So now I'm in Somerset West, and I form part of the Chapar congregation there, and we have our Kibwe kids home there. Um, but it's not an orphanage. We, <laughs> we're a family. We're just shortage of a dad. Um, but other than I'll, that... I'll, I'll be with that now. <laughs> But other than that, we, um, we're a normal family. I, I raise them as my children. I don't raise them as children that live in an institution. Um, yeah, so basically, how did I know that I was definitely going to foster and not adopt? A lot of people ask me that. So just quickly, fostering is 
part-time, you get children from anything from three months up to two years, and the two years can be extended to 18 years when they leave school, um, where adoption is, is permanent, the child is signed in your name, and the child is like born of you. But I very specifically felt that the Lord called me to fostering for this season, because there's a lot of children in the fostering system that just grow up, they become 18 without ever having a sense of belonging because no one wants to take them because everyone's too scared to, their hearts are gonna get broken. And I really believe that this is something the Lord has called me for, for now. And I belong to Jesus. I know that when I have to let these children go in two years time or five years time or maybe 18 years time, then the Lord's gonna pick up the pieces and he's gonna heal my heart and he's gonna um, walk the road with me from there. I don't know how long it's gonna be, but I really believe that whether I have these children for a week or a month or 10 years, I need to use that time to impart in their lives and to be a mother for them for this time and to give them a sense of belonging for this time. Um, yeah, it's really just such a privilege. It's such a privilege for me to, um, to walk this journey with them. I look at life completely different. I like things that I just get in my car and I go to work and I switch on the lights and switch on the washing machine when I need to. It's different now. They appreciate electricity. Like my boy will always tell me, switch off the light. Is, are we not going to run out of electricity? And when I literally move my car from the garage, uh, from outside into the garage, it's three meters. They both jump in and they giggle because it's a car and we get to drive. And it's something they're not used to. So I really look at life very differently. I appreciate things. It's like I taste things. We were in Picampay the other day and they saw strawberries and they said to me, they've never had it. So we got to taste strawberries together again. Um, just quickly, if you want to get involved, go on our Kibwe Kids website, come chat to me, speak to Heinrich, it's really on his heart as well. And um, yeah, get involved. We need people to cut our grass, we need people to babysit for us, we need people to, yeah, to just love these children with us. Thanks, awesome. Kibwe. Awesome. <clears throat> Yeah, so I, I said um, we were ordinary people, but um, that Quibi uh, is the exception, um, and the best thing of her is that she's still single. Um, so please, after the service, just come to the front. We will pray with you <laughs> and introduce you to Quibi. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Great. <I> paid him. <laughs> Tosca, you next. Um, We've That's got a two fan minutes club. of my time, thank you. <laughs> got a fan club here in front. Tosca, um, you were inspired by a sermon Christelle Maybach preached, I don't know where Christelle is, um, about opening your home to loving people, building community, and you did just that. So um, you received 60 plus students into your home, um, invite them to attend breakfast, worship together, um, let them build community and get to know each other. Um, so yeah, tell us a bit about the journey. Um, hello, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's, 
it's more than Cristal. I'm going to name drop a lot of people and it's just to honor them because um, that's the beauty of community. It's not you. I'd love to say, oh, I've got the capacity to have 70 people at my house. Every time there's 30 people at my house, I stand in my kitchen with a mug like, what are we doing? Why are there so many people here? Please stop. <laughs> and then Martin, my housemate, actually said, can't I just take a video of you so you can see how this stresses you out? I'm like, no, it's always worth it. It's always worth it. <laughs> so building community is exciting. Um, and turning <laughs> very exciting. I recommend it to everybody. Um, in 2015, I was safe, but I was very proud. I, I'm very, I'm an independent woman, can do my own thing. Um, and I, I was very, I was living alone pretty much, even though I was in community and I was in church and I was in small group, I kind of was like, oh, I'm doing my own thing. I'll decide, I decide how much I invest. I decide who's worth it. It's actually awful, like <laughs> individualism, narcissism, yay, number one chief sinner here. Um, and then my mom got really sick and I remember C.S. once preached and he said that he used to teach Josh that if you're ever in a, in a bad situation that you must just say, Jesus help. And I remember the evening I, I sat in church and my mom is sick and my sister and my family's in Pretoria and I don't know what to do. I don't want to tell people because like, what are they going to do? That's literally how I thought. Um, and I remember sitting at the back of church and just going, Jesus help me, Jesus help me, Jesus help me, crying, Jesus help me. And in my narcissism and the pride that filled my heart, I thought Jesus was going to appear to me and make my mother better and, you know, everything's going to get better. And instead... And I'm so grateful the Lord sent me, like the people that have always been there, but I never ever saw them. I never valued them, to be honest. So the Stefans and the Jameses and the Michelles and the Genies and the Colossies, all these people that were always there, um, all of a sudden just came. James didn't leave my house for two months. He just was always there. Like, when you're ready to deal with your mother's death, like, this is okay, we'll do it. Like, <laughs> and it was just, it was the weirdest thing. And it wasn't what I thought. And then we went to Kenya, and when I came back, I live in Pretoria, so I went to show for Pretoria. Um, yay. And then Philip Bosov was doing a series, and the leadership was doing a series on the Acts Church. So now my boxes are broken. My entire life has changed. There are people now, and all of a sudden, people are helping me against everything within me because I'm proud and I'm self-sufficient, and the Lord came to show me how much I needed those people that were just always there. I mean, how much they'd already been helping me and how much they've already been walking with me. And then Philip's preaching about the Acts Church and it's, it was actually, please go, 2015, it's the Acts Church series, watch it, listen to it, it will change your life. Um, and the one sermon that they did was the Messy Church. And I realized how the reason my heart was hard, the reason I was proud and independent is because I thought I deserved the perfect community. I thought I deserved the right people around me. And Yes, after that sermon just broke me. I was just like, there's no such thing as the perfect people. I am imperfect. So the most of the building of community was really just a, like a process of humbling um, because I realized that to be in community and to, to give and receive, it takes like a lot of humility. <laughs> just to, to, to receive from people, to receive this unconditional unexpected love, it wrecks you. And just to embrace that, and from that place almost of that humility, 
this sermon after church, I'm like, okay, everybody, we're eating at my house. And we invited this random guy from Chauvin Pretoria to my house. I sent him my address on Facebook. My dad was so angry. My father's like, that's a safety hazard. This is Pretoria, it's not the farm. You can't just give people your address. And, but needless to say, we're all alive. He wasn't a serial killer. I mean, he was in church, so it was fine. And my, my dad doesn't reason like that. And we had soup, and the Holy Spirit was just like, this is what you do. You receive people into your home. So I had this little flat with Colossi and Catherine and Rebecca, and I decided we're going to have soup Mondays. And it's so cool. That's just another fun fact. Community and stuff like that is never born out of you. It's always the Holy Spirit. You never commune around people. So it was never about people coming to my house. It was really about people encountering Jesus, coming to, to encounter what the Lord wants to do. And the third thing is you always stand on someone's shoulders. If you think you've brought something from the ground, think again, just look back a little bit. Um, so Natalie, one of my housemates now, one of my best friends, she's engaged, give her a high five. Um, <laughs> she, um, she used to have these things called Sunday lunches and then she just invites random people in church to come have lunch. And I'm just like, great concept, we're gonna make it Soup Monday. So after Sunday lunch, you have Soup Monday. Then we have two things you can go to and then we just invite people. And yeah, even with that, the fact that my housemates would let me use our house, the fact that people felt the freedom just to come, um, we took, we invited on a Sunday, I'd invite everybody, I'd make a group every Monday and then I'd just invite all my contacts and people leave if they can't come and it was amazing because we, we ate and we communed and it was amazing but the, the most amazing part is that we'd, at the end of the evening we'd always worship and that was the most amazing thing was that people came and people came back. The first Soup Monday was 12 people, the biggest Soup Monday was 48 people. My flat was tiny, I can't even explain to you, we had to like... Some people would worship in the kitchen and up the stairs and in the quad outside. There was no space for all these people. But the Lord brings the increase. And that was always cool for me to see that God is faithful. It says he added to the Acts church daily, the breaking bread, um, committed to the teaching of the apostles. And that's what we, we decided. And it wasn't me. It was the people in my community that said, we back you. We're going to do this together. Stefan always led worship without fail. Thank you, Rodea. I appreciate that. Oh, man, I didn't even get halfway. Anyway, <laughs> yes. And Colossi or someone always helped. See us once, gave us chicken. The Lord provided. We made soup for everybody. <laughs> Nobody had to bring anything. And the Lord provided every time. So, yeah, my, it's the testimony of my community is the testimony of people that that we're looking for Jesus actually. And um, there's a scripture in Hebrews that says, don't be afraid to entertain strangers for some people have entertained angels without them knowing. And that is really, really what has happened. I've entertained the coolest people and it was just out of this place of the Lord drawing them to come and have community. I also live in a house with nine people. They're quite exciting. And <laughs> you guys are welcome to eat at our house anytime. I'm going to say I dress on this mic. It's three Brandwacht in Dalsig. We eat dinner at seven o'clock and everybody's welcome because yeah, it's, it's the Lord's home. So you're welcome into his house. Awesome. <laughs> I learned nothing from my dad. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks, Tosca. Okay, Johannes, you next. Johannes van der Slice is a doctor as well as a musician, and Johannes decided to organize music gigs to um, fund missions and some of the poorer churches. Um, so, Johannes, if you can tell us a bit about that, it'd be lovely. Thank you, Gilly. Um, yeah. The last little while I've just been so convinced and just 
been having a fresh revelation that the gospel of Christ truly includes and welcomes everyone, but also sends forth each and every one of us. Um, um, and I think it was mentioned here as well, our, our, each and every one of us has got something to bring. And um, so just a bit of my story, um, I believe passion um, is something that God puts in your heart, you know, um, where, where you get that energy and you get excited and you get vision um, to pursue something and, and to be, get practical about something. I believe that's something that, that God places in our hearts. And um, so my, my story, um, sort of when I, around music, I was a, a little boy and I would used to put in my dad's albums into the, in, in, um, into the CD player. I would sit there and listen through the entire CD, just listening to all the melodies and rhythms and beats. And really mesmerized by music from a young age. I remember uh, there's even some old photographs where I used to run around with the tennis racket playing guitar as if I was a rock star in my pajamas, small little kid like this. So from a young age, music was, was a big passion for me. And I remember before I got saved, even at night, I used to pray every evening, but the radio was in, playing in the background. So if a good, good song came up, I would say, I would stop praying quickly, turn up the volume, listen to the song and then finish my prayer after, the, after that, <laughs> you know? So, so sometimes a passion can also become an idol, you know? And then I got saved, and I remember one evening I was, uh, me and Pity, we got saved together, you and Paul, a few years ago. Um, Pity still in, then that, I, I won't go. In that other school. Yeah, in that other school. <laughs> anyway, um, Pity still, at that stage, Pity still had, he had bigger muscles, uh, <laughs> Anyway, um, no, so one evening I was, uh, I was at a, a worship service and I just felt, oh, I can't, it feels like I'm not connecting with God. It feels like I'm not really worshiping um, uh, in truth. And I, I thought maybe I must get rid of all my music. So um, as zealous as we were at stage, um, I, I went home that evening, I took out the, the Breibach and, and I, I took all the CDs, I don't know why on earth, I didn't just throw it all in, in the rubbish bin, but I, I don't know, um, I took some blitz and I set it all on fire and don't try that at home, don't try that. <laughs> and um, it was just all the plastic, it was this massive column of smoke, it was at night, my parents were away when they got home, they were really worried about me at that stage in my life. <laughs> I'd, I'd just gotten saved then, and you know, they thought the house is burning down, the, the wall was white, my face was full of soot. Um, yeah, but anyway, um, that's just sort of a story about um, how this passion actually was an idol in my life. And so I'd gotten saved then, and the, so I sort of went on this journey with, with music because it was a passion for me, and I was. Um, when I played my first three chords on the guitar when I was age 12, I was completely hooked. I just loved it so much, sitting there, um, making new, uh, uh, constructing new melodies, writing lyrics and everything. Um, it, it's, it's something that gives me such a, I feel so alive when I do it. And as a Christian then, as, as you work out your own salvation, at times I had this wrestling with, with yes, this is a passion, but isn't it? an idol as well. And then later on as things progressed, I actually started um, writing my own songs and, and here and there got an opportunity to play the songs. I never had 
the idea that I would sit in front of people and play the songs. I just used to sit there in my room and write these songs and I would get such a kick out of it, just like, oh my word, this is, I'm enjoying this so much. And then later on, people ask you, play us one of your songs. And then you see, oh, people are actually enjoying this. And um, so then I, I got more and more opportunity to to perform some of these songs. And But, but I had this wrestling in my heart, yes, but, what is it, what's my motive with this? And that's one of the things that I want to share around this, that I believe passion is God-given, but it's also something that, and, and that, that gift that God's placed in us, we, we need to continue to consecrate it to God, because yes, it is a God-given passion, yes, it is a gift, it can become an idol, um, and especially around creative arts, um, or many other th- areas of life, any, any sense of performance, whether it's in the, wor- in, in the workplace, whether it's on the sports field, any kind of performance, we, are we drawing attention to ourselves or are we drawing attention to God? So, and that's, that's sort of the journey that I, I went on. And, and I just came to the place where I realized that I'm always gonna need to keep on consecrating this gift, this passion to God. But the thing that I'm not gonna do is, is I'm not gonna put this gift under the basket. Um, and so, so, but I really had this conviction that I, I, this can't be all about myself. So the first time that I actually said, right, I'm gonna be bold, I'm gonna book a theater in Stellenbosch and I'm gonna play 13 of my songs. Um, I just had this, this um, sense that I don't want this to be about me. And it's so beautiful how God just so, so softly sort of have, has been guiding me over the years. Um, my, the first show that, that I did in Stellenbosch, we did for, um, in benefit of Pro Chorus. And um, yeah, it's just, and from there it's, it's progressed, you know. Um, and just to bring in another sort of uh, stream in my life is that I, I went to study medicine and I never really understood why I'm doing why I'm doing this. I just thought it's a good idea, because you know uh, some of these things are interesting. And but now I'm so I'm so grateful. Oh, it took me a while to start enjoying my work, but after all these years, I'm so grateful for the position that my work puts me in, because um, the compassion it stirs in my heart. Um, I've got the privilege of work, working in the government setting, and I see the the needs. Um, of the masses and the massive need that there is. And that has just stirred my heart to use this gift, um, this passion to serve that. And um, yeah, so uh, me and f- some friends, we've started a band and that also sort of just happened and never really planned that. And it's been so awesome where we've had opportunities to uh, bring awareness uh, to certain causes, stop trafficking of people, kin culture. We've had the privilege to raise funds for some missions and, and urban church as well. And every time we just bring it before God, God, we bring this bit that we've got and we trust you with that. Um, and it's just been amazing to see how God's multiplied that in, in numerous ways. So yeah, that's sort of my story. Awesome. Thank you very much. Let's give him a hand. Thanks, Johannes. Great, Liesl, um, you are a mother figure for inmates in prison. Um, I know that prison ministry, I think it's probably the least place where women want to go um, because of remarks and stuff said there while you're there, but you, 
you chose to be there for 50 plus inmates, the murder and rape victims, and you're a mother for them. You started a discipleship group, and you just serve them. Tell us, tell us a bit about that. Thank you. First of all, um, I just want to send regards from all the brothers in prison. They tell me if they don't want to see you now, they will see you in heaven. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Um, in 2009, one of my family members um, go to prison. And really, it was never a place that I think I will end up. But really, when I, when I go and visit him, because I was one of the first people that go visit him, because I love my family, no matter what they are, but I love my family. So I go to prison, and it's not an easy place to go to, but I went to prison. And when I, I see that people, I don't know what happened to me. For three days, I can't eat. I can't speak. I was just sitting in my room asking God, please, what can I do to change something in this people's life? And I, know, I don't know what happened, but a love that I, that I will never explain just come over me. And I know that was God just baptize me in his love, enough love to go give love. And that's what I do in prison. I went there on Thursdays, but in, uh, after 2009, I went just weekends on visiting hours. But the Lord is faithful. He knows my heart and he knows that's what I want to do. So over three years ago, I, I joined Sofa Franzuk. And when... Uh, the pastor, he, they always introduce the, the ministries and stuff. And when they, I heard prison ministries, like, like something happened inside of me. And I said, God, that's me. That's me. I need to go to prison ministry. And from that day, I was never, never absent. Never. Nothing could hold me from prison. If I'm sick, I said to the Lord, Lord, you know what? My boys will pray for me in there. I will go to prison. I was never absent. One of my boys tell me, you know what? We were more absent than you because there's sometimes places that they need to go to. But prison ministry changed my life. Prison ministry introduced me to Jesus, the king of hope, the king that love like no one could love. The king that looked past your faults, people. The king that looked past what you have done, but he looks deeper. Amen. He understands that that people just need someone to understand what they are going through. Most of the time, no one of them ever knew a father. Most of the times, no one knew a mother. They don't have a hug. They don't have people to tell them, you know what? It's okay. It's going to be good. People inside, there's people inside telling me, you know what? When I run five year, when I was a five-year-old boy, I ran to my mom just to tell them, mom, you know, for me, it's like I will go crazy if my child come run to me. And then the mom slammed me. Slam him in the face telling me, you dog, I don't want to see you just like your father. And you're going to end up like your father. And that is what he think. 
that will make him someone if he ends up like his father. So he's in prison for 13 years. No one ever come to visit him. And when I come to prison and I see that specific boy that day, I said, Lord, please give me more love. Because I just want to hold him, Lord. I just want him to understand that you love him in spite of everything. And the Lord is so faithful. After that, I become a mother to this specific boy. And a month ago, he's coming out of prison. He's got such fears. He's got such stuff he don't understand because there was no one lead the way for him. He don't have a mother that love him enough to show him that is what we do and how we do it. And for me, prison is not about going to prison to preach. Yes, I want to go to prison to show love, to show a mother because they don't know that things. There's so many people that come to them. They preach every day. They've got somebody coming to them. So they, they get in enough. But I go and I say to them, I don't want to talk to people that are full. I want you empty so that I can fill again. So please talk to me. And that is what they want. They said to me, the people don't come to listen to us. We need to listen to them. And it's not always good because their children are full. Their children is restless at night over stuff that happened to them. Over a month ago, and me and Pastor Richard goes, goes in and one of my boys, Jesse, come to me, he said to me, he just want to share his heart. And I said to him, I, I will give you a chance, just do it. But before he, he start talking, he just break down on his face and he, he cry out, Lord, I can't do this anymore. He was raped since he was a boy of five years old. When he comes into prison, the same thing happened over and over and over. And he said to me, one night I decided I will rape somebody. Just to, to feel better. And he said, and then I got saved. And the Lord showed me, that's not the way to go. I love you so much that I will heal your heart. I will show you that you can go through this life without pain if you look into my eyes. And that day he was crying. And for me and Pastor Richard, just to hold him, he said to me, I just, something break in me, something make me free that day. I don't hate anymore. I love because love was shown to me. And for me, prison is a very dangerous place, people, I can tell you that. But I don't fear prison. Because I don't go to prison, I go to my sons. I love them and we are family. There's so many things that I can tell you about prison. We don't have enough time. But I can tell you, the Lord is moving in prison like nowhere else. People look to prison and tell that's not a place for me to go. But Jesus is in prison. He loves that boys so very much. We were small group. So, so much people come from Portsmouth. Portsmouth is the most evil prison. And one guy comes up to me. He don't want to greet me. He looks at me with his scholarly looks. <laughs> and all the, uh, uh, my sons come and they say, just protect Sister Liesl. And I, I looked at him. And I don't see that murder. 
I don't see that murderer. I see the pain, the hurt, the rejection. And I said to him, behind his back, we're writing, not guilty. And I said to him, not guilty, come and give me a hug. I love you so much. And that boy started crying. And he said, no one ever tell me they love me. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. And I said to him, Jesus love you. He died so that you can be alive. He will never leave you. So that guy's in prison. They don't wear any mask. They are free, although they are in bars. Amen. Thank you. Amen. 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 Lizel, I, I heard you say that you, you don't go into prison to preach, but maybe you must organize with Pastor Richard that you can have a Sunday to preach because I think you're gifted for it. You should preach. <laughs> it's awesome. Peter Wasserfall um, is passionate about stewarding finances and using that finances to build the local churches and projects, financing projects that serves people that really need them. Um, so Peter, if you can... We know you as PT, but Peter, if you can um, maybe just tell us your heart behind this. How, how did it happen? What, what, what's going on in your heart and your, your story? Thanks, Gilly. Um, I'm a bit off my story now, I must say. I mean, I just, <laughs> after Liesl's talk, I just feel so moved. Um, I really believe God is stirring in our hearts love. But I need to focus, okay. <laughs> so, um, so I got saved about 15 years ago. I was in, in Paul Boys, base school in this town. And um, we, uh, uh, me and Johannes, we were radical for the Lord. We ran up this mountain. We painted t-shirts with crosses on. We ran up this mountain and we blow, we used to blow our shofars and just declare over this town that everyone would bow their knee to Jesus. And it was an amazing time. We saw lots of miracles and I was so passionate for the Lord. I just wanted to go into Africa. So I called my parents and said, look, I'm going to Africa. I was uh, 17 years old. And uh, they said, no, 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 you're not going into Africa. You're going first to university and blah, 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 blah. So I, and, and I said, no, you can't stand in the way of what God wants to do. So my mom made a deal with me and she said, no, okay, if God writes, in his own handwriting on a letter under my pillow tonight, I'll let you go. And I said, I said, you'll get your letter, just wait for tomorrow morning. And, and needless to say, God didn't actually give me permission to go into Africa, but he did say that he would release me um, at some point. And, uh, and I got a lot of prophecies at that time that God was gonna release me into business. Um, so I went to study, I became an actuary, I worked um, all over the world uh, for, a, for a few years, for about five years and then the last uh, stint that I did was in Africa, looking at uh, low-income uh, people and how we could lift them out of poverty with financial services. So I was really knew that that was something that God wanted me to do. So I decided to do that full-time. I resigned. Um, I actually, uh, before I resigned, I called up a friend um, and I said, I want to come and I feel God leading me to the farm workers. Uh, so I went out to his farm and I sat down with each of his farm workers. I mean, I just knew I had the financial services background. Um, so I sat with each of them and I tried to understand what their financial um, situation was. And I just found that they were so ridden with debt and almost none of them had any savings and they were just completely um, in bondage. 
um, and I really felt God saying that he's, that he's calling me to proclaim liberty to them um, and to give them a freedom and, and a hope. Um, it's almost like a, a Moses encounter, like what God said, I want you to go and set my people free. So that was the word that I really believe God gave us. Um, it was challenging, but I decided to actually go on the farm and just, um, uh, God provided the finances. I actually cashed out my pension back then and, uh, and I settled all the farm workers' debts. Um, and, and within 13 months, all of them paid me back and they were all free from debt. So I really believe that, that, um, that I just knew that if, if I could do this for these people, there's a, God can really take this to the next level. So I went straight up to the National Treasury and the Financial Services Board and I decided to set up a company and, and we, we started making this, this service available to, to lots of other farm workers. And, Praise God, a big company came earlier this year called Afgri, and they, they just injected the funds that we needed to really take this business to where it needs to go. So now we're literally helping thousands of farm workers. So that was the first thing, and, and I really, uh, in doing that, I, I believe that um, God was saying, seek first the kingdom, and he will add all the other things to you. So that was the central word. Um, it's not about starting business. It's about seeking my kingdom and around seeking his kingdom being wanting to liberate people from debt he will provide and he will build and he will add um, so that was the first thing that god called me to but i'm a very bad ceo of a company managing different people so i had to take my hands off it completely and uh and i felt god saying we must set up a company called the 633 group it's called uh on based on matthew 633 it says, seek first the kingdom um, and his righteousness and all the other things will be added unto you. And I also felt God saying that we need to put up a kingdom trust um, that would own 30% of the shares in this um, company. And we would, 30% of any money we make, we must use to build God's kingdom. So that was the, the word. And God provided some amazing brothers out of this church that have been walking the path with me. It's been amazing. Um, and, and, and that's been our, our process from for the last three or four years, God's just brought a momentum. I remember about three years ago, a lady came to me, Agnes, um, from Kin Culture. Some of you might have met her. And she had a vision and a dream to, to start an orphanage um, on a farm where she could help uh, bring in some 2,000 uh, children in the Stellenbosch region, um, don't have a, the, go through the foster system without a place to stay. Five million orphan and vulnerable children in South Africa. So I said to her, look, I think we, we can do something about it. We, God has already provided. That's, that's one thing. I, I know that God owns the cattle of a thousand hills and he owns the world and everything that is in it. And I've got absolutely no limitations on what God can do. So I said to her, let's do it. We're going to find a piece of land and we're going to do this. Um, so we found a piece of land a few months later and God provided the, fund, the funding required to be able to purchase the land. And we started an orphanage there quite soon after that. And, uh, and God, uh, I, we had to obviously, in order to fund it, we had to put up a, a, a sustainable business around it. So I know a good friend of mine, actually one of my best friends, he's an expert in the blueberry industry. And, uh, and, I, and I went and I, and I got a really good commercial farmer from, from Stellenbosch. And I said, come with me. We need to set up a world-class business that can sustain this orphanage. And they came together and and it's been an amazing journey for the last two years. We've really built a, 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 a strong business, but the, I want to emphasize that it's not about the business. It's about seeking God's kingdom, and it's about the, the, the um, going in, and, and God is constantly laying stuff on my heart um, that's a social need, whether it be an orphanage or the farm workers. Now he's talking to me 
about the people in the, in the rural areas up, up north in, in South Africa. He's, he's really laying stuff on my heart, and that is the driving force that keeps me motivated to go and do what I need to do. And, and then God provides abundantly more um, than, than we could ever need. So it's been an amazing journey. It's a privilege to share it with all of you. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so just to be practical and end this session off, um, I think as we shared our stories, you can see that this is, is normal people that used something that God gave them. It's, it's this, the story of this, this child bringing the, the two fishes and the five loaves to Jesus and him multiplying it to feed a multitude. And I, I really believe that is what God, God's telling us. It's this love in action. So I want us to, to quickly, to end this off, I'm gonna give you two minutes. We're gonna turn to each other and we're gonna share, the first thing is what, what did God give you that you can give away? It can be love, it can be your home, it can be finances, it can be a gift, a talent, an ability, whatever it is, and for what community or area of need do you feel a specific calling, if you wanna call it that, or a specific love towards that community, and how can you use what you have, that bread and that fish, to impact that community? Can we share that with each other? Um, I think the, the main thing is we don't need a scripture against the wall. We need to make a decision, okay, to do something about it. So let's turn to each other, share with each other, and then I will pray for us after that. Lord, we thank you for this time that we could spend together. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will inspire us to love others. We don't wanna just speak about it in theory. We wanna do the word. We received it this weekend, and we wanna go and do it. So we thank you for new plans. We release just creativity over this church, over this family, Lord, new ideas, new groups that you want us to reach, and new areas, new nations, Lord, new families, new schools. Whatever is on your heart, speak to us. We open ourselves to that call tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen.